Welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast, where we unpack what it's really going to take to close the gender gap in the workplace. Here is your host, leadership coach and diversity consultant, Andrea Jansen. Welcome back to the Diversity at Work podcast. And in this episode, we're going to finish the interview that I started in the last episode with Margot J, who is the founder of 365 Integrated, which is a marketing consumer insights company that serves massive brands in North America and around the world. And Margot started her career in consumer packaged goods. She was actually my the VP of marketing in my very first job. And I want to know today how you made that switch from being kind of climbing the corporate ladder and being in that senior marketing role to becoming an entrepreneur and owning your own company. Um, I think in my heart, I always knew at some point I would want to go out on my own. I've always sort of been that what I call a maverick in business um, in that I always did things a little bit different with the business always in mind and I I always honored the business and um, through that through my whole career having been introduced to Dr. Daryl Edwards um, who is one of the best um, marketing people on the planet legitimately I kind of got to the point where I just absolutely had such a passion for putting the pieces of the puzzle together and understanding what the essence of a brand was or an essence of the customer experience um, or the sales tipping point was with him but then I was also then the guy that had to go back and figure out how many candies in the bag and is the bag whole uh, heavy enough and at Mars you had less people reporting in that's not their model so even though I was still doing high level and I was doing high level at the global level I was also the guy that was trying to figure out how to build the display so it didn't fall apart. And I just was working insane hours. Um, I had success after success after success there. So it was it was basically a repeat of you know 20 plus years of, of, of experience where I felt like I was just doing it over and over and I was losing my passion. And so mm. it was actually Dr. Darrow that said, you hate what you're doing. <laughs> he goes, I see what you're doing and what you love to do. Because at that point, I was given premium chocolate, and I put it on its head. Um, so can you explain I, what this means to people who aren't in marketing? Kind of oh. like the, what your role was at Mars and what you actually did. Because that was your last job in the corporate world. And that, that was, was the last. job that Margot took after she left, um, <laughs> which is the company that we worked at together. Yes. So, and I feel bad about leaving Stork. Don't um, feel bad. <laughs> oh it's not about know, at all. Yeah, you know what? I um, I wanted Mars forever. Um, I knew who was in Mars. Um, I they never had a Zone Five, which is the VP level available. And when they they knew me and they called me and they wanted me to come, and it was five minutes from my house. I was eight months pregnant. Um, and I just thought if I don't take it, that opportunity will never be there for me again. And so I I'm just, just going to pause because I want everybody to hear how awesome you are because <laughs> I read an article just last week that was praising a woman for going on a job interview and putting, her out, putting herself out there while she was pregnant. And this is 2018. And so Margo was doing it back in 2004, 2005. So this is like when I wanted you to be on my podcast because I see you as a trailblazer. Like this is kind of 
why I think of you this way. And I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I uh, know. I, I showed up for my interview and I was huge and nobody knew that I was pregnant. And uh, the, the person that I met with was amazing. And I mean, I'm, I, I'm me. And um, he basically said, yeah, I guess what we have to do is just discount the fact that you're pregnant because uh, you're everything we want in, in, uh, in the role and in the, the fit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think what made it so cool was the fact that everybody celebrated me for it. Um, like right from the, the uh, general manager, CEO in Canada down. And then it became this, this, I mean, it's an auditorium building. So everybody sees everything. And every time I stood up, the place would get quiet as they were all hoping that I would be heading to the door to have the baby. It was the funniest, <laughs> funniest thing. You know, they, I, they, somebody would see me cause it was a fishbowl. You had glass uh, boardrooms and somebody would see me standing up in a meeting and because I could no longer sit. And then I had one of the amazing men in the back fix a chair so I could lean way back and they wheeled it into a boardroom. Like it became this whole team behind me having a baby. It was the funniest, most amazing. But you only knew these people. You're only working there for a month or two. A minute, right? a minute. But I knew a lot of them. I knew a lot of them uh, from a peer perspective over the years. So, so yeah, and, and I was 40, I was 40 having a baby. So that was, everybody was just so excited that, um, at that point in my life, I, I had, I was blessed with that opportunity as well. So it, I know that's a stereotype women like have it all. Yeah. Cause yeah. you were literally like that example, like we just got the VP level, like having the baby, yeah. um, having the husband. I know your husband now is a firefighter. So it's yeah. like literally like, I did, I did, but I, I know. I waited. I waited till I was late in life before I had it all. But uh, yeah. So um, I can't even remember what the question was. Now that we started talking about me being pregnant. So, yeah. So like, so you got pregnant, and then you kind of worked. You you had the maternity leave. You came back, and you were like doing, being your awesome self, kind of like seeing everybody's gifts, seeing yep. those insights, bringing it out to the world in the form of chocolate. What what yep. chocolate brands were they? Um, I had uh, premium chocolate, I had Twix, I had olive candy and olive seasonal. Basically, so what are some the, of the brands? So people that oh Skittles, Starburst, um, right. and the more successful as the more successful my results were, the more that piled onto my desk. I mean that was one of the reasons why I finally had to to cut bait. Um, Halloween, we did twenty million for the you know the most we'd ever done is fifteen million. We did twenty million because basically I came back to the insight. What I was always good at. Yeah. I mean, Halloween is not Halloween. Halloween is a customer ex is is a, is an experience. So where's the where's the flavor in food? Like the packaging just looked archaic. It didn't look like delicious food. Like just basic principles to bring the experience to life, and to tie that experience into permissibility um, over the Halloween season. So, so can I yeah. interrupt with an insight here? That I think, like, I don't know if you've heard of people talk about like, you need to spend more time in your genius zone. Yeah. Have you heard that? So it sounds like you nope. found your genius <laughs> zone, which was like just connecting with the consumer and kind of yes. like re realizing like, this is what the brand needs to do to connect better with the consumer. And then in turn, that leads to profits. And you were kicking butt doing that. And they're like, right. we need more, we need more, we need more. And for and me, my desk got bigger and bigger yeah, and bigger. It was like, <laughs> 
the solution to hard work, like when you're the yep. reward to hard work is more hard work. Yes. Um, so then you, it sounds like you just like took that zone of genius and used that for your next step. Is that kind of how it played that out? That is exactly what happened. And, and the zone of genius, now that you've pointed that out to me, uh, that was pointed out to me in my, uh, in my second marketing job at GlaxoSmithKline, and it was at Pierre. And he said to me, the thing that amazes me about you, Margo, is that you can get right under a consumer's skin and you know how they think and they feel. And that is why your business is on fire. And I don't know that I, but, but you're right. That is, that is it. And that is exactly what I do today because um, the methodology gets me to the zone. But then the work that we do is to bring that zone to life in a strategic way so that it's not words on paper. We make people live it and feel it so that everybody knows what, what that feels like so they can get it right and align to it. Um, so absolutely, that is what I do now. And I try to find that in people. I mean, that's what, made, that's what made our relationship different. I didn't see you as two years out of school. I saw you as having unbelievable gifts that I could learn from as well. Everybody that I, that I have met along the way has helped me be a better person um, and has and has allowed me with your own permission to point out your own gifts and allow those gifts to come to life That's part of why I never felt like there was a ceiling in business or I never felt anybody was trying to stop me from doing anything I saw them as what I call a human. So this is what people pay you for This is what the big Canada dry weight watchers yep. These candy companies in Germany are paying you for they're paying for you for them to come in and see their gifts, see their talents, see the potential in their brand and Correct. then help them bring it to life kind of like on a bigger level. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested about how you navigate this world because how many employees do you have? How, how big is your business? I have uh, five people that I can tap into, but pretty much it's still just me. Uh, not that I've Good. not tried to get beyond me, but I have to find me. That's my biggest problem. Okay, so it's really you taking on these massive corporate clients with a very, very small team. So tell me how you navigate that because there are a lot of big consumer research, marketing agencies out there that could yeah. do, could offer similar services to what you do. But you are this, you're in your genius zone and you're this very small business doing business with massive companies. So tell me how you navigate that. how I do it um it's a good question I guess I mean I, I could be three times the size if I had actually man managed the relationships following a year or two after um a hundred percent of my business Andrea is referral um and when an agency meets me or I have I have people that have sponsored me over and over and over and over again because they they see what we can find and create and then they can build from it in their own business and take the whole thing to a much much bigger um, place um i think i'm just i'm just me um you know i just i just won food banks uh, canada as an example and i didn't know i was up against three different agencies um but i connected with the person in front of me i articulated what I believed, um, you know, agencies were coming in and saying, you need to start here. And I basically said, well, you can't start here until you have all of this done. 
And unless you know what business you're in, and I don't think it's food, then um, you can't write the brief. You can't, you can't get there. So um, I feel like it's just, it's, it's people that, you know, you know how I get in? It's businesses that are uh, opening themselves up to something that's different. And so it's comfortable to keep doing the same research over and over and over again. And if it doesn't work, you can blame the research. It's a lot more risky to bring someone in who is anti, anti the tradition. That's the maverick in me is I do it different. I talk to different people. I bring it to life in a different way. And I'm, and I make you workshop it, um, in order for everybody to feel the difference. So it becomes this living document. I don't give you an executive summary. I give you a living, breathing document that, you know, four years wait, later, Weight Watchers is still quoting me on it. Um, because I know from living in their own shoes, I know um, the pain points. And so that's why you've hired me, is to get rid of your pain points. Not to answer a question, but actually get rid of the pain points all along the way until you can actually execute your strategy and get things changed and done inside your organization. So I got so, two insights from this story. So okay. Going back to the genius zone, right? Like, and I think number two, and it goes back to my first impression of you, of you playing hockey with those decision makers at Stork. It's the relationships. Like that's, I think, like, I don't think there's, I don't think you'd be doing anything if you didn't have those relationships. I think it's really, it comes down to the relationships and you absolutely deliver. Yeah. And, and you've carved up this niche. It sounds like you've carved up this really cool niche that is kind of against, goes against kind of the traditional consumer research model. Because you don't have a PhD in psychology. No, and I don't, I don't claim to. Um, but I can tap into the psychology of a business through your best customers, which gets me to a subconscious raw dimension of a business that's always been there, but it might have been lost along the way or the white space in the middle of a market because it's not yet been tapped yet and you just need to know who to go talk to to, to shape that out. It's, um, it's the genius zone. I love that saying, um, but that is exactly what we do. And that is what excites me. That is what keeps me up till three in the morning, jazzed out of my mind because it is so much fun. So I am on my own today because it's, it's what I'm doing is really fun. And I get really passionate. I stop sleeping because I'm excited about what I'm doing. And, um, and, and I like to say that I'm changing worlds within whatever world I'm in. And, and that's the, the gift of what this methodology brings to life. And it's just so inspiring for me that you kind of have been able to come to this point. And because I always hear people burning out, especially in marketing. Like I remember when I was young, um, I don't work in marketing anymore, but I remember just like marketing being very intense um, yeah. department to work in. And so I love, it's inspiring to, to, for me to see you to really like take those skills and still love what you do and kind of morph along the way to kind of really create that career that you want. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point, um, like from an empathy perspective, you are right. And the corporate jobs today are tougher than they've ever been. And so part of, part of what we try to do is to, is, is to get them excited about their business again. There's nothing worse, and you and I have both been there, where you're sitting in a, in, a, in a boardroom and the entire conversation is about how crappy sales are 
how the accounts are kicking them out. The product has too much this or that or all the bad stuff or whatever. It's like negative, 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 negative. And I'll never forget this. This is my first time that I had um, a director with me from um, a big CPG uh, meat company in a boardroom with their customers. And they've seen research to death, but they've never seen it the way we do it and who we talk to. And she came out of that back room crying and she said, I had no idea what I actually did for a living. And I said, that's the church I'm preaching. And that is what I've been able to do the whole ways along my career, which is what has allowed me to get so excited about my businesses and get everybody else excited about my businesses is because what we are doing is not what the product is that we're selling. It's the benefit of what people are buying. And it's not, you know, the, the stereotypical words. It's like so emotive and so deep. And when you talk to these people and you really understand your business and what they do for you, you, they, they tend to cry because it is such an emotional place for them to become that vulnerable in that space with me, which is the gift of trust in me to bring it to life. And then the pressure on me to bring that voice back to the team so that they really do understand, which is why we do these workshops now, is I want them to feel how important and life-changing it is even if it's something as simple as toilet tissue for, for people doing it really right, doing it different is as powerful and has a space in someone's life as something bigger and more obvious um, for them. So can you tell me, so if someone's listening and they're, I don't know what they're working in some, in a company and they're like, they don't love going to work. They can't see what they're bringing to the world. What are some things that they can do to start to find that out on their own? Talk to their customers. I mean, honestly, um, one of the things that I always did in my career is when I didn't have money to do research anymore, I did my own. Now, did I do a great job? No, because I didn't know what I was doing. But actually sitting in front of teenagers, I think back to Oxy days, sitting in front of teenagers, um, and we just went to a, one, of my, one of my sales guys' uh, kids' church groups, and that, allowing them to talk so that they could actually help me right in my face, understand what I did for a living, actually changes inside you. You go back and you find energy again. Um, you have to find places to find your uh, energy so that you can feel like what you're doing for a living has more meaning than the obvious. Like what, what's the higher purpose of what you're doing? What's the higher purpose of what your business or brand or company is bringing? And, and find a way to always be able to get back to that, um, you know, watch that video or listen to the interview again, or I'll, I'll never forget my first, my first acne interview where the, the young man, this is where Dr. Daryl changed my world forever. He brought this young teenager in and his hat was over his face and he had just, God love him, terrible acne. And, you know, he sat with Dr. Daryl and probably 10 minutes in the hat was up. And 25 minutes later, the hat was off. And he was this animated, smart, beautiful human being that had so much to share and offer. And I sat there in the back of that focus group room. And I said, honest to God, I, I actually get what I'm doing here. And it's not about selling oxy at all. And my business, Andrea, and that's, that's like my first claim to fame went from a 17.7 share to a 35.5 share in 18 months. So that I, was based on the realization that um, Oxy, so an acne medication, you were really, at first they were selling acne treatment and it was like all about 
features and benefits features and benefits and then you brought in that emotion which it sounds like it's confidence and started kind of positioning it that way and changed the world and it's interesting because you think of a teen like teenagers today if like you could help a teenager with that confidence like yeah just think of like they're probably adults right now right like what Like think of that role that you had in their lives, like how yeah. many lives you have impacted. That's yep. really cool. And that is exactly what we all do every day. You, you might be the finance guy. It doesn't matter what you do. The fact is, is that there's a higher purpose of what you're supporting. And if everybody understands that and why they go to work and why they work hard and why they make sure that it's right and why they make sure that the margins are there so you can tell more people it's all about it's like causal marketing but it's personal causal marketing personal branding so yeah all of that is very important and that is absolutely what i try to do day in and day out for the last 12 years that i've been doing this business i love it um okay one more question and this is a question that might make you uncomfortable but because i know originally you don't think of yourself as this trailblazer (laughs) numbers don't lie so only one percent of corporate procurement goes to women-led businesses so a lot of this work the insight like the consumer insights the advertising that kind of work goes to big ad agencies or big research houses and most of them are led by men um but you've carved out this spot for you but also, I know you told me a lot of the CEOs that you work with are women. And today in Canada and the US, only 5% of total CEOs are women. So yeah. you have this really strong community around you of strong business, like women business leaders. So tell me like what you've learned from that and what insights can you glean to share with everybody that's listening? Um. Well, there's, a, there's probably a couple of things that I've noticed along the way. Some have, some I'm in absolute admiration of, and then some aspects of it, um, it's a lesson to always be learned. So, so you know, um, none of them believed that there was a ceiling. So they were more like me. And they basically, you know, I'm talking women that have risen to CEO levels in, in like the moving industry as an example, which is so male-dominated. Um, but they never, and they never lost their femininity. So there's always a cost. That's what I would, what I sent in an email to you is not that there's not um, a cost for men as well. Um, cause I would never take away, uh, from that. I'm just speaking from my own gender and my own perspective that I, I believe anybody can do anything. Are there organizations that tend to be old school? Absolutely. Um, are there opportunities to break in there and rise? Absolutely. Um, for the right female, meaning that um, she she fits. She knows how to build relationships. She's not um, banging on the doors asking for something because of her gender. She's banging on the doors. She's opening doors because of her skill set and her ability to build relationships and perform. Um, what's the cost of that? I've seen CEOs who are who became very masculine and very hard is the only way I can say, um, who, who would take people down to be able to get in and up. Um, and then I've seen others that I so wholly admire and I wish I had met them along the way because uh, I can only imagine how they would have helped me either find myself earlier or been stronger in a different way or found, had permission to who knows what 
but they've never lost their femininity. And that's the only way I can describe it is they're proud to be women in those roles. And the men admire them because they're, they are um, strong women, and, but they've never felt a need to be anything other than strong women. Um, I can think of two uh, uh, specific examples. And you know what's so funny, like these top 100 women awards and these hashtag me too things that are ongoing out there. And yet there's the same number of examples where um, the, the things that we actually hold in admiration were not rewarded for as women for women. You know, the top 100 women, I put a, I put a huge proposal in against one of these CEOs and I said, She's got all the business results, but what makes the difference for me is she never lost her femininity. Well, I didn't win that year. I didn't win that year. So then I had to go back and rewrite it. And then I, I went back and writ, wrote it more like a man and, more, and, and just focused on the nuts and the bolts. They didn't want to hear it themselves, top 100 women. So there's just, we, you know, there's, there's lots of uh, opportunity to honor and to make change in the right ways. There's also lots of opportunity as female to honor and make change in the right ways for each other. Um, and it should never be at the cost of other women and it should never be at the cost of men. That's why I keep saying the human in all of us mm -hmm. because um, men are deserving just as much as women. It should be based on skill sets and ability to perform and have um, healthy relationships. And, and then, you know, the other side of the thing, the coin that I was talking to you about as well is I've also talked to CEOs with, with horror stories of what it's cost them. I mean, I've, I, I have to uh, be honest that I had lots of costs along the way too personally in order to be able to perform. And it's that, it's that um, when you have uh, family and you have other responsibilities, I'm not taking away from men at all, but a lot of it does still fall on the women. And it, and, I, and it may not fall on the women as um, a requirement. It may fall because emotionally we just feel like it should. And so nobody's asked us to do it, but we feel like we have to do it. And it doesn't matter if our husbands or significant others tried to do more of it. For some of us, you just own it. And in the process of owning it, you just have this whole everything you do is, is, is it's now it becomes a, a plus and a minus. It's not um, just always on the plus side of the balance sheet. I had one CEO um, say to me, unbelievably talented woman who built uh, one of the, the iconic organizations without saying um, who or what, and God love her. She, she, and I, and I, I think what she and I could have done together would have been incredible because she's sort of like you and I, she's authentic. And I love that in women. Like it's just, it's not perfect. And let me tell you my life. Um, but her, her teenage son in the process of her becoming this unbelievable global champ, uh, she met her son at breakfast one day and his head hit the bowl of cereal. And he had, um, he had been left alone so much that he had found other ways to find attention in such a way that he was permanently harmed. And so she quit her job that day. So that's the kind of, uh, the, the kind of issues that we face with women. Would, would both parents have been responsible for that? For sure. Did she own it? For sure. Do we tend to own it if we, we carry that with us? Absolutely. Um, and so part of 
how did I go out on my own? How did I go out on my own was the fact that I had other responsibilities because I was a 40-year-old mom who was never home. I was on a plane flying to Dubai to check out a chocolate plant. I wasn't home. Um, and so uh, would I have gone out on my own? Yes. Did I need that courage? Did I need that um, kick in the pants to say, okay, now's the time? Absolutely. Absolutely I did. And the fact that I was a 40 year old first time mom um, who had other responsibilities outside of her, my professional life it was the it was the permission that i needed to try and i am so grateful um, that i took that opportunity and um, have had 12 years of building the brand and doing what i'm so passionate about which is bringing the genius zone, the awareness to the genius zone professionally and personally uh, for others. Um, and yeah, it's hard. I'm, I'm working on a Sunday night at 10 o'clock after Jaden goes to bed, but she still sees the full on face of me during the day. And that's the freedom and the flexibility, but also the cost. But do you resent that those 10 o'clock or because like you love what no. you're doing? It's, is it exciting? Yes. Yes, I do. I love it. And, and the, the fact is, is that I am more available and I'm confident in what I do now. I don't feel like I owe anybody anything. I used to say, oh, I have a meeting. I can't be there. And now I say, no, actually, I'm at the school at 11 o'clock because Jane's getting an award. <laughs> and, and, and actually, I'm, I'm actually surprised that people are delighted to be to embrace that as part of me. Yeah. So, so that's part of what I'm learning as well, um, is that that just makes me more authentic. Um, and, and more real to your point where people learn see, meeting you and learning about you through the podcast, that would be Marco's version is they're getting to just start sharing my life with me and you can't get this deep in this personal professionally on businesses and otherwise, unless it's sharing. Um, and so that's probably one of the, one of the things that I've now given myself permission to do that I didn't years throughout my earlier years of being on my own. I love it. So now if anybody's interested in working with you and kind of bringing <laughs> you into their business to love it. find their genius zone, like in their company, how do they do that? Um, well, they can simply email me at margo at 365integrated.com. And I will put that in the show notes. That would be awesome. Um, and people are finding us through our website. I'll put that in the show notes as Which, well. Uh, yeah. And well, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. I, it's amazing to me, Andrea, like, and you'll be the same that if you do good work and you are authentic, which you are as a human being and you are so passionate about what you do and you're so, I mean, look at what you've done for me in the last hour. You've pointed out about 10 different insights that I wouldn't have given myself permission to, to believe to be true. You're doing the same thing as I'm doing. You're just doing it in a different way. And you can't build your personal brand without finding your genius zone and celebrating that. And that is exactly what you're doing professionally for women within organizations. So this area for me, for you, does not surprise me at all from the Andrea that I uh, fell in love with uh, right out of school years and years ago because that's what you did for me uh, inside that organization is you were my 
um, you're my, you are my motivation section. Uh, you were the, you were the tie, the bridge between me and everybody else because we're in the role that I was in. I had tough things that I had to happen too, but you were a hundred percent authentically always excited. And that kept the energy around the business, which is what I loved about having you there. And I learned that I learned from you, um, that that's a gift, my friend, that, uh, not everybody can have. Well, thank you so much, Margo. It was so great to connect with you. Same. And thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you.